So last time we stopped in the middle of Acts 23 because we realized that we we're getting a little uh, ahead of ourselves. But if we'd continued too much further, we'd be there till 9.30 at night. So uh, I believe the last verse that we read was uh, about the Lord standing next to Paul and saying, take courage for as you have testified about me at Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also at Rome. Yeah, that's right. So let's start first with prayer and then we will um, get read and discuss. Oh, hi, Charles. I <laughs> know <laughs> the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Christ our God, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your word that we may see Paul and your providence working through Paul uh, as your providence was your presence beside him, even in the midst of so much turmoil. May you um, show yourself to us in our own turmoils in our life and your, as your providence uh, that you are standing beside us as well as you stood by your servant, Paul. And through the prayers of St. Paul, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. Who would like to read first? Philip. There we go. <laughs> I certainly don't mind, but I'm not, uh, for some reason, I'm not seeing the text. Are you on, a, are you on multiple screens? I don't know what I am at the moment. Father Daniel's doing uh, screen sharing. Yes. Um, here. Uh, should, someone should some, go ahead how about and somebody else and goes first, pick. and then may, you'll probably be able to figure it out. And I will pick up here. In, um, Reed, will you read the first uh, 10, 12 through 22? Sure. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. And when they went to the chief priests and elders and said, sorry, and they went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. You, therefore, along with the council, give notice now to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand, and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of their men lie in ambush for him, having bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of this. Will you keep reading, actually? Let's see here. 
Go ahead and read to the end of the chapter. Sure. Then he called two of the centurions and said, At the third hour of the night, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. <clears throat> and he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greeting. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge on which they accused him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the, more, uh, and on the morrow, they returned to the barracks, leaving the horsemen to go on with him. When they came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked to what province he belonged. When he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So Paul, we're pretty used to Paul uh, stirring things up from the last few chapters. Uh, this seems to be a new one that we have a whole group uh, of assassins, basically, uh, of Jews, uh, 40 of them who've made an oath that they're going to kill Paul and they won't eat or drink until they've done it. That seems like a lot. Of folks to make that? 40? It's just one guy. <laughs> it's it's uh, fascinating. I haven't done background work uh, there's nothing that springs to mind unless, Reed, are you thinking of something? I see you um, striking your beard. Uh, no, it's, just, it's soft. It's soft? <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever the case, they mean business. And they're very open to the chief priests and elders. It's kind of like, if you, uh, I mean, this sounds like crime today. It's like, Let's go tell the chief of police, like, we're going to take care of this uh, issue. You just transport them this direction, and we'll just take care of it. Uh, maybe that's just how it is in the movies. But yeah. um, that's what they were going to do. Somehow, Paul's nephew hears of this ambush and goes and tells them and paul's basically uh gets his instead of an angel for peter he's got his nephew who's getting him out of jail basically at least this this particular joint and then he's going to be called up and sent uh to felix the governor so i think that's a lot of uh soldiers i mean 40 guys is a lot but then they're going to get 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Yeah. I mean, this thing really escalates. It's just. My, my guess is that they've already had enough um, issues with um, 
what was it the first when they first encountered Paul? He thinks it's not as his letter says here, right? Where he's like, "Oh, I rescued him when I knew it was a Roman citizen yeah, in trouble." Right. That's not <laughs> how the story seemed to go. Uh, that's putting it in the best of possible lights. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. He seems to think I forget who he 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 thinks that Paul is a rabble rouser, right? That he's like some kind of zealot or something. I forget what he calls him. Let me look back real quick. Do y'all remember what what he thought he? Didn't he talk see. about some Egyptian who led a rebellion or something? Yes. Yeah. Are Down you an here. Egyptian? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently started up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins? I wasn't even thinking about assassins when I said that earlier, but 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. So obviously when they see that there's pot you know trouble in jerusalem uh they know that they can possibly escalate rather quickly so i could see if they think that if if paul is possibly in any way going to completely unsettle um jerusalem and there might be a revolt on their hands um then it may i guess those numbers make sense yeah, I guess. It's also interesting this transfer is also done at night, the third hour of the night, which is also, if you remember from the Gospels with Jesus, all of the night in which he's betrayed and he's going around, it's like all this secret at night, like all of these things are happening at night. So there's this, um, if I'm remembering correctly, the Gospel of John who makes a lot of this that these things have to happen in the night, of course, right? It's not in the light. It's not out in the open. It has to be hidden and deceitful in, in the darkness. Mm -hmm. So does anyone have, I mean, in many ways, um, this seems to be basically a, a, a nice narrative about how things come about and how Paul is going to get where he's going to go kind of classic um historical text of the time you think there's something more to it uh i think that this is a furthering i'm sure there is it's not on, on my radar is not picking it up i'll just say that because there almost always is more echoes i think it's uh why we started out with uh me starting off with verse 11 i think this is a further explication of how he's going to get himself to Rome. Yeah. I also think it's furthering the echo that we've been talking about, about how Paul is treated like our Lord. There's just uh, the Roman element plays out differently for Paul than it does for Christ. Christ has to die in Jerusalem. The word yeah. has to go out from Zion. The Holy spirit has to go from Jerusalem, but Paul, that's not Paul's ultimate destination. Which is what we, at the beginning of Acts, last class, we talked about how the whole story of Acts is basically Jerusalem to the end of the, of the world. So we've got to get them to Rome. Yeah. Why, all, why, for example, the letter, or at least the attempt at saying what was in the letter, a letter of this, to this effect? Uh, I think this is just how historical narrative at the time, they move you along. What strikes me is Paul is not really getting himself to Rome. 
the Romans are getting himself to Rome. The bad guys are getting himself getting getting him to 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 Rome, and that kind of there's kind of a uh, that kind of rhymes with uh, uh, with the Lord. Uh, it, it doesn't get to the cross by himself. The bad guys get him to the, the bad guys get him to, yeah. to, to the cross. Yeah, I, yeah, that is bad. Guy, I would do almost like the Romans here. They're bad on one on one hand, right? And on another hand, they're kind of neutral. They're kind yeah. of the machinery that's around that. This is how Paul. This is like the escalate. This is a bad metaphor. This is the escalator that's going to get Paul to the place in the mall that he wants to get to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pardon that off the cuff metaphor, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they're not. They're 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 all just kind of like this. Seems like to be some weird inner Jewish thing, and. They're going to kill him. So, and he's a Roman citizen, so we need to protect him. Which is yeah. fascinating because this sets up still as we were talking about how Paul, when he was uh, in the different places where he's going, is you know turning upside down the world. That the kingdom, the the pagan system, is actually going to bring him into the very heart of where he needs to strike or plant the gospel or at least fan the flames of the gospel. You know what I mean? Like Jerusalem in the same way that uh, Rome uh, is the mechanism by which eventually our Lord is crucified. Paul in the same way uh, he's it's I'm trying to get to the fathers love to use the image of um, Satan being tricked by swallowing yeah. the Jesus Christ uh, and being realizing that they didn't swallow a dead man, but they actually swallowed like the living God and that from inside out, he like uh, comes out and just, and destroys death that way. There's a really great article by father Maximus Constance uh, on his academy.edu. I can, if, if you will email me, I can forward it to you where he does a lot of close reading of uh, why this metaphor was so popular. Um, and he, pulls it from gospel text and uh, not just some random metaphor that ran out of control, but uh, something it, it, get, it gets uh, its fingers or points to something that is not totally explicit in the text, but helps make sense of it. And I think Paul is going to ride the Roman system. It's like, he's taking the bomb to blow up the entire Roman. Is it? <laughs> That was thank you, David. Sure. Uh, this all but also said, makes like me Frodo think of how the, Frodo in the ring is what Chelsea just said. Yeah, this this <laughs> also makes <laughs> that's not a bad comparison because this almost makes me think of how I've often heard how uh, God God is King, mm -hmm. and God's will is going to be done, and things that happen in the world are going to happen happen to carry out God's purpose, whether the world knows about it or cares about it or even opposes it or not. All things are going to work together towards God's will, you know, and, and that we're often ignorant of that. So that's uh, the other thing I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, he's explicit in the prophets. We forget about it, right? God yeah. says he's going to use these uh, other kingdoms to 
discipline Israel. Sorry, I was swiping at a bug. <laughs> Danielson over here. Yeah, I guess uh, I'm thinking. I guess I'm thinking of Isaiah. Isaiah, I, I, I think I think of Jeremiah, but I think it's or this, Jeremiah. I, yeah, yeah. I think they both talk this way, if I remember off the top of my head correctly. Yeah. They basically said God's going to destroy his anointed one is Cyrus. This is here. Uh, yeah. Cyrus, the uh, the Messiah, the anointed one, is not a Jew. He's a foreign pagan king, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's going to be how God's going to bring about His will. So, we should keep going because yeah, Paul has a lot of interesting things to say here before Felix. Who would like to read uh, the next section? Philip, did you actually figure out? There we go. There we go. Will, uh, yeah, will you read? Figure out. Great. Can you read the first twenty-two, and I'll roll, I'll scroll it down when we start getting there. Does that work? Sure. All Did right. I hear 22? Yes, uh, verse 1 through 22. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he was called, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoyed much peace, and since by your provision, most excellent Felix, reforms are introduced on behalf of this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all this was so. And when the governor had motioned him to speak, Paul replied, Realizing that for many years you have been judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. As you may ascertain, it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship at Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law or written in the prophets, having a hope in God in which them, having a hope in God in which these themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God and toward men. Now, after some years, I came to bring my nation alms and offerings. As I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation if they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, except this one thing which I cried out while standing among them. 
with respect to the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the, tri when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. And he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but should have some liberty and that none of his friends would be, should be prevented from attending to his needs. Thank you. So the Jews got themselves a lawyer. Because <laughs> they realized they needed somebody uh, to work for them, Tertullus. Um, I love the uh, very Roman um, brown nosing uh, here at the beginning, uh, showing respect, but also, sorry, um, showing how much gratitude they had for the reforms and things that Felix has done for them, which I find to be actually kind of funny and not in a brown nosing way, but God has introduced reform through his son, Jesus Christ on behalf of the Jewish nation. Uh, and they are rejecting it. Many have received it, but there's many that are rejecting it. And um, it's just as fascinating how, Again, like in the Gospels, where you had this the small group of Jews who, you know, wanted they choose Jesus over Barabbas, and they say, you know, who's our king? Well, it's Caesar, right? <laughs> uh, here, you again have somebody on behalf of the Jews who's um, again acknowledging the great Roman peace and the things that the Roman. But a lot of the Jews are not very happy with the way things are going, but. So, uh, Paul, the pestilent fellow, agitator, ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, a profaner, um, this is who, and they're pretty reliant. They think Paul's going to basically uh, just put Paul on the stand and he, his own testimony will uh, bring its, his own condemnation about. They're pretty confident in uh, this. Anyone have any comments about Tertullus's uh, opening statement before the, the judge, <laughs> the governor? I think it's really interesting that he refers to uh, the Christians as the sect of the Nazarenes. Um, sect seeming to indicate that it's a subdivision within Judaism still. Mm -hmm. So that just as Paul never seems to see Christianity as something different from Judaism, but the fulfillment of it, as he says right here, but it even appears that the Jewish leaders see it as something happening within Judaism. I also thought it was interesting that Felix was familiar with the way. Yeah, as they, as they tell us later. But I bet I, my guess, Luke, is adding that there because... I'm sure the Jews probably weren't thinking as they presented this case that Felix would have um, knowledge of the way 
which is of course opposed to being a sect of the Nazarenes. He probably understands that that probably doesn't capture what the content of the message is. Yeah. And I wonder if Paul is somehow alluding to that and talking about how Felix has been a judge there for many years. His point being, it's like, okay, you understand the context of what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. You, you're not the new Roman guy who has no idea about the Jews and really doesn't care. Right. So I'll cheer, cheerfully make my defense. And, I mean, he basically goes up and uh, everything that he says is true, you know. There, yes, I am a follower of the way, but I in no way, you know, am being pestilent or an agitator. Um, but um, they basically bring me here and accuse uh, me of these things um, but the only wrong, wrongdoing that he thinks they could possibly point to is when he caused the division among the Pharisees and the Sadducees by obviously poking them in the eye about arguing about the resurrection. <laughs> yeah. It's a remarkably simple, straightforward explanation of what's gone on. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's interesting that he refers to the Christians as the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that comes from our Lord's statement about being the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Where, where did we encounter when they first started talking about the way? Was, it, was this in Antioch, I think? When they first, I mean, I know in, it says there in Antioch, they're first called Christians, but they, they've, they've said the way multiple times. I actually don't remember. I don't remember either, but, but yeah, I don't know. But we have encountered it a couple of times before. I a think. couple of times, yeah. Mostly Paul, all in Paul's, not, not before with Peter. And I don't think it was before. I kind of don't think it was before Acts 15 either. I did a quick search. Um, in uh, Acts 9-2, where Paul had asked letters from the Jewish leaders so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Interesting. So is that kind of a more Gentile Christian designation or discussed in that way? I I didn't understand. I I don't understand father. Is it more of a what? I'm just wondering, it doesn't, describing themselves as the way doesn't seem to come from, uh, emanate from Jerusalem. It seems to emanate from the mission field, as it were, or from like more Hellenic uh, uh, minded or like Ephesus and Antioch. Well, I'm wondering though, isn't this how the Didache begins? You know, there are two ways. Yes. The way of life and the way of death, or, you know. I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. And the Didache, as I recall, is thought at least partly to come out of sort of the Jewish um, Essene writings or something like that. Um, yes, there, yes. It reflected a Jewish tradition. And so I wonder if that's where they're picking up the way that the, the Christians, the Jewish Christians were identifying themselves as the ones who were choosing that way of life that the Jews had already 
had some notion of. Reed, you're making me think of Moses. How so, David? I I, I set before you. Oh. Uh, did he say two ways? He is the way of life and the way of death. I, I think that's. I mean, this is also kind of wisdom literature. I mean, that's part of it, like that kind of basic life wisdom instead of death. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is <coughs> also James is similar to Didache. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a wild speculation. You know, I don't know how we could substantiate it, but I do wonder if that's perhaps where the term came from and why it seemed natural to them to use it. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Didache. The way of death is a very long chapter of just what the way of death is. The way of life is first love God and then second love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule and of these things, the teaching is this. Bless those who curse you, pray for your enemies, fast for those who persecute you. For what reward is there if you love those who love you, our Lord? Again, do not also the Gentiles do the same. But love those who hate you, and you shall not have any enemy. Abstain from fleshly and worldly lusts. If anyone gives you a blow upon your right cheek, turn to him also the other. If it, you know, impresses you, walk a mile with him, give him a, your coat. Um, so very kind of Sermon on the Mount and very gospel centric as opposed to um not as opposed but the language is much more gospel as opposed to ephesians colossians and those kind of you know lists or uh ways of following the the um the kingdom that's not that the decay doesn't go into those things later but then uh, do you want me to read the way of death because it actually covers a lot of the things that paul has encountered uh evil full of curse Murderer, murders, adulteries, lust, fornications, thefts, idolatries, magic arts, witchcrafts, rapines, false witnessings, hypocrisies, double-heartedness, deceit, haughtiness, depravity, self-will, greediness, filthy talking, jealousy, overconfidence, loftiness, boastfulness, persecutors of the good, hating truth, loving a lie, not knowing a reward for righteousness, not cleaving to good nor to righteous judgment, watching not for that which is good, but for that which is evil. For from whom meekness and endurance are far, loving vanities, pursuing requital, not pitying a poor man, not laboring for the afflicted, not knowing him that made them, murderers of children, destroyers of the handiwork of God, turning away from him that is in want, afflicting him that is distressed, advocates of the rich, lawless judges of the poor, Utter sinners, be delivered children from all of these. It's quite a list. It is quite a list. And then there's about idols and baptize, you know, offering to idols. So. Yeah, I'm looking at Moses and it's striking how similar it is. That, uh. See, I set before you today life and death, good and evil. If you hear the commandments uh, of the Lord your God, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, 
and to keep his ordinances and judgments. And then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you go to inherit. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but go astray and worship different gods and serve them, I announce to you today you shall surely perish. And on it goes. So, very similar. Yeah. Just different resonances are, um, yeah. Or, uh, what do you say, uh, octaves, but all playing the same note, as it were. I try yeah. to get all my, my uh, musical metaphors correct. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, uh, like I said earlier, it rhymes. Yes. It all rhymes. I've been, I, I, the more I think about all this, I, I, the, the, that's the word I keep coming up with. It, it rhymes. It all rhymes. It's all, what, is, it's all, what do you find in this that rhymes with uh, our Lord's um, position before the judge, as it were? Or things where it doesn't rhyme, or maybe rhymes in a different register than what, I In Paul's at. defense before Felix? Yeah, or just what, what's going on here. I mean, one a very and simple they did, one is and they they're lying. <laughs> and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or the synagogues or in the city. Well, the concern about... Uh, is is, is that part of Christ's defense? Christ doesn't really say anything. He says very little, and then read where you're going to respond to... Well, that was that was striking me. That that's one real difference is that you know Christ, as the sheep before the shears is silent, said almost nothing, and here Paul makes a full defense. But in particular, I was thinking that there is the similarity that they're both accused of somehow profaning or blaspheming blaspheming against the temple. Yeah, as was Stephen. And they're not. <laughs> they're misunderstood in different ways. Our Lord really is coming. Uh, is coming, was coming, because this has already happened, uh, to replace the temple, uh, or in a, even though the early Christians, the, way, the followers of the way, still go to the temple, <laughs> still, still do the prayers and sacrifices in the temple, um, or, but they're misunderstanding what he meant by his death, burial, and resurrection in regards to the temple of our, what our Lord was talking about. But with Paul, it's again, they're, they're worried about how he has profaned the temple, but he hasn't profaned the temple. In fact, he's doing the exact opposite. <laughs> he's actually trying to honor it. That's what like the whole, they've missed the whole nuance of what he's even trying to do. And I wonder too in this, you know, Jeannie Constantino has talked about this, that, um, you know, as we read in Acts that the, uh, in the Gospels, rather, that the Jews say to, the, to Pilate, we, we don't have the authority to kill anyone, to execute anyone. Plainly, this didn't really hinder them if they wanted to, like with Stephen. But um, so she said, actually, there was one exception to that, and that was if a Gentile entered the temple grounds then the the Jews could execute him for profaning the temple. And evidently, 
I think maybe like this this half wall, this dividing wall that Paul picks up on in some place, that it was marked all around this. If if you're a Gentile and you walk past this point, we will kill you. And so I wonder if this uh, is p- part of why they keep coming back to this is this is their one hope for actually making an accusation that would get Paul killed. Right. That was helpful. We'll go circle back to when David earlier brought up the fact that Luke tells us that Felix had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. I think we'll discover that a little bit more about that here in just a few verses when we start to keep reading. <laughs> Obviously, Felix seems to favor Paul here since... He's going to be kept in, in custody, but he's going to have some liberty here. Should we finish the last uh, three verses here? Sure. Yeah. I'll go ahead and just read the last three verses. since just three. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak upon faith in Christ Jesus. And as he argued about justice and self-control... And future judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. And when I have an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. But when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, or Porcius Festus, I never took Latin, so forgive me, (laughs) all Latin lovers. And desiring to to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Man, if Felix isn't uh, Pontius Pilate, you know, it's like the truth is staring him in the face. His wife is having visions. Well, I mean, Pontius Pilate, right? Like, yeah, watch out. You, it's, <laughs> this is deja vu or something. Two it years. Rhymes. <laughs> Two years in prison. All because basically he's going back and forth having this discussion with Felix. I find the content of what they're arguing about to be fascinating. Justice, self-control, and the future judgment. Yep. Why are they arguing? So what what do you think that they're arguing? What is there to argue about justice, self-control, and future judgment? What are they arguing about? What do you, what do, I mean, what do you imagine? Like, what could be the possible things that they could be arguing about, about justice, self-control, and future judgment? I mean, this is a continuation, of course, of what Paul has been preaching, right? Yeah. That he even brings up at the Areopagus, right? That they're all kind of like, okay, okay, this is interesting. And then, like, once he starts talking about resurrection and judgment, they're kind of like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, I, I find that what the Gentiles seem to have the most trouble with, and I still think this is maybe true to the day, is that there's going to be a future judgment or a final judgment. The Jews don't, well, unless you're like, let's just bracket the Sadducees, okay? The Jews don't seem to have a problem with that at all. But it's, it's at the Areopagus uh, and here with Felix that there seems to be struggle with the idea of future judgment. There's also a problem with self-control. 
What do you think that's about? Well, I mean, Paul doesn't eat meat. And presumably Paul is chaste. And, and, and that kind of asceticism is rather foreign to uh, Roman culture. The Romans weren't known for being ascetics. That's you start seeing change in that a little bit after this. You're right, up to this point. Because you don't get I'm so the reason I'm processing out loud or thinking about Cicero and um, Marcus Aurelius yeah. and later kind of Stoics, I think you would have like Roman Stoics at least, or at least inflected, because yeah. they're a little more eclectic than that. You definitely have philosophical movements going around talking about self-control hmm. so i mean aristotle plato all that i mean they, they they definitely would have had the extreme asceticism extreme like that you get with like plotinus who would have been around the same time as origin so like third century you, you're it, the there seems to be a more uh there's a famous essay by Peter uh, Brown about the rise of the holy man, but this isn't just in Christianity because you can see this kind of like Plotinus operates like this. It's a kind of holy man where he's in control of his bodily self that also allows him to be able to have to speak the truth. But that's Plato too, right? Like you need to have those horses on the reins or you're out of control. Um, the Republic itself has to have be run by men who have governed their passions correctly. So how much the Romans have, uh, I, now we're getting out of my, <laughs> I think they've probably absorbed quite a bit of this, but I don't know how much, you know, if Felix went, now I'm going to mix in English public schools. Uh, <laughs> If he would have been through the same, like if he was an Eton boy and would have gotten all of this, like they would have in the 19th century England, <laughs> you know, no. I, don't, I don't know what the, what the Roman formation for these kind of provincial governors would have been like, or if he was just some guy who rose in the ranks of the army and then got himself positioned. Well, I, I was just taking a shot in the dark. I... No, I, I appreciate it. Cause it, I, I was also processing out loud what, what, cause my first gut was, with you and then i'm like but i wonder though because it seems like some of the christian apologists and i i'm fuzzy enough i'm not sure whether it's someone like justin martyr or someone like saint augustine but talk to the pagans and say look you talk about these virtues but you don't practice them the christians actually practice the things that you praise but don't do oh augustine city of god just the first, well, I think 10 chapters or of a city of God where he just goes through in detail about exactly that in, in many different ways, but coming at it a bit that, that they, their gods that they worshiped were demons to Augustine. Mm -hmm. they, they, there's no, you don't look at the Roman or Greco Roman like pantheon of gods and you see justice, self control, and the concern <laughs> about the future judgment. Nope. <laughs> They're great ideas, but you don't act on them. Right. And in fact, it was, it was seen, if you really kind of weird, I think, and that's also what happens in a few 
um, generations is the typical Roman um, in his household and etc. to join ascetical movements. And you see this in, in the Synoxarian. I'll even get this so, so you don't have, you know, like we don't have to get a PhD in late antiquity and the changes that happen to the Christianity. But you see this, what's going, like, why is there so much talk about in the ascetical movement about like leaving your family and stuff and like kind of needing to just cut all ties and forget about it? Because in the Greco-Roman mind, I'm sure we can kind of get this, even though we're late modern American autonomous, you know, individualists, even if we don't want to be. Um, to not procreate and give on to the next generation or like the fame of like, you know, the Greek poets, like you're basically committing cultural suicide, right? Like you're killing the family. So it was a, a it was a, a great reorientation of a lot of their values. When you get somebody like Gregory and Basil and Macrina and the whole family becomes ascetics and they're not getting married and they're not having kids and have this estate and they're supposed to be a leader in the province and they're still leaders but then that means so it's just this fascinating inversion of values that would be around justice self-control and future judgment I think justice self-control and future judgment also they they relate to each other I, I, tried, I, I tried to think of, uh, 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 excuse me for interrupting, but I'm trying to think. So from the letters that we have, what did Paul teach about justice, self-control, and future judgment? What did Paul teach about justice? What did he teach about self-control? I'm going to teach you know? class. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think it's safe to assume that's probably what he was talking to Felix about. Yeah. And I think we can even go back again to David when you read from Moses, right? Like this all even goes back to how can you stay on the way, the path of rightness, if you don't practice the self-control? And that is all wrapped up with justice is how do you respect, honor, pay your dues. I mean, I could go through a whole list of kind of metaphors or ways of verbs. How do you do justice without it being justice for what everything was created to be for, right? Yeah. And a Jewish a monotheistic mind says there is a particular way that things are made to be and to abuse those things or to not do them in the way that they're supposed to be is injustice. So that requires self-control and because God is a God of justice, there's going to be a future judgment where he's going to right all wrongs. Yep. I do think that is fascinating. This is, I'm going to peek maybe some geek law stuff here, but how does Roman law see justice, seek justice, and how is that transformed with a Christian or uh, understanding of justice? Because in many ways, early Christianity takes Roman law and precedent and actually baptizes it and is okay with it. If you look at early canon law and stuff, a lot of it's, they'll use Roman ideas, Basil, Gregory, the wonder worker, et cetera. Um, but I think some of these ideas are going to be suffused with Christian understanding. Sorry, I'm about to sneeze. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
<clears throat> I think I've self-controlled myself. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> There's an interesting book, Father Anthony John McGuckin. Sorry, I think Anthony is also a middle name or something. Um, published with St. Vlad's Press called, if I remember correctly, the title. I have it on my shelf, but I'm not in my office at the church. Uh, the Ascent of Christian Law, where he talks about the influx of Christian ideas and how it transformed, how, how late antique Roman law and things in Christianity like interact with each other and, and there's a transformation. It mm. takes a while, of course, but. Mm. So. I, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear what, what Paul and Felix are arguing about justice, self-control, and future judgment. Because this all, sorry, this, this whole scene is fascinating to me. You have kind of a judgment scene happening here. Like Felix is the guy, like he's kind of standing as the judge over him. And they're arguing about judgment. <laughs> they're arguing about like infraction against the law, justice, and like judgment in the courtroom. For two years. Yeah. That's a really long graduate seminar on the philosophy of law. <laughs> so, so all of that. Me, Felix, now I'm thinking, now I'm thinking of Felix, Felix wants to extort him for money. <laughs> that, Let's that, talk that, about that, self-control and justice, but you pay yeah. me. <laughs> that, I was going to say, now I'm thinking of Felix as Herod. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You know, he uh, he wants to do so with this guy, but he likes to hear him talk. Yep. There's something there. Felix was alarmed. Yeah. Paul hit something. Some chord was hit. But I, I again, I think this this goes back to like the Areopagus, like Stephen. On the different preaching, there are those in the gospel, right? The, the, the word is preached. There's an explanation. There's two years. How long was Paul in Ephesus? Wasn't it two years? I didn't know there was going to be a quiz. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, baby crying. Um, That's about right. Right, I think he stayed in Ephesus for two years before he headed to Jerusalem. You almost have yeah. this fascinating, like in Ephesus, he's building up the brethren. <laughs> Here with Felix, he's stuck for two years, talking to him. He's not upbuilding him, but they're going to talk about the same themes that he probably was talking about in Ephesus. I'm going to go pick her up real quick. Talk well, to it's a, it is a thirty. <laughs> Beth says she'll get her. <laughs> it is eight thirty. I don't know how much further we can go. Yeah, and I, well, I kind of need to go. Yeah, we should stop. Yeah, even though I, yeah. Okay. 